previously on Twin Peaks. Laura. You got the wrong house, mister. When was the last time we saw each other, Cooper? Small cases popping up in my phone pouch. I'm in the black lodge with the dead Cooper. Get me out of here! What? 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 from Austin, Texas is the Chopping Wood Inside Podcast. I'm Murphy. Tom, are you still here? <laughs> yeah, I just want to get on the record before we get into Twin Peaks. Series Rewind, Part 16? Yes, yes. What's the name of the episode? Uh, No Knock, No Doorbell. Ooh, that's good. Boom. <laughs> Didn't think I'd know that, did you? Well, we talked about it last night. But still, I can I know, see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I want to get on the record, the movie Angel Heart, 1987. Ooh. Good. Yes. Forgotten. Underrated. Classic, I think. One of the best thrillers, not only of the 80s, but I think uh, I would put it maybe in the top 10 of uh, my list of greatest thrillers of all time. Not I just, just thriller, Tom. Sexy thriller. Sexy, satanic 
noir thriller. Right. And I think, I was thinking about this last night, what a great double feature, Angel Heart and Lost Highway. That'd be good. That'd be good. Yeah. They're both very mm-hmm. bleak. Um, they both... Two Louis Cyphers. There's two Louis Cypher characters. <laughs> yeah, you got a mystery man yeah. and Lu- Louis Cypher. Yeah. But I think, I read the book recently that it's based on, oh, and it's one of the rare examples of a movie being better than the book, which I was surprised reading it because the book has gotten rapturous praise. And uh, um, Who it, wrote the book? I think his name is William Hortzberg. The H is silent, H-J. But uh, a fantastic movie. I love me some Angel Heart. I hadn't seen it forever. I had the movie poster back in the 80s. I saw it when I was a kid. I loved it. And then um, I was in this whole deviltry phase recently, and I thought about maybe uh, picking up Angel Heart. And I watched it again. And great, Mickey Rourke is tremendous. Everyone's great. Lisa Bonet, uh, Robert De Niro, great score. Cinematography, just a brilliant, brilliant film. And uh, I want it duly noted. On the record, I love me some Angel Heart. Uh, duly noted. Is it on streaming on a platform, Tom, that some of the kids could watch it? Uh, good question. I don't think so. I um, bought it. Well, on Amazon Prime, if you're wanting a double feature, you could watch The Love Witch to go with Lost Highway. Ooh, that's a, that's a good triple feature. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Well, tonight, uh, we're, we're going back to 16, one of the best episodes. I re- all We both rewatched it last night. Uh, seminal. Like, this is probably one that goes down in the, the annals. We were waiting for the whole season. A lot of tension build up, and... Uh, there's one nitpick I have about it we'll get to <laughs> later, but uh, the rest of it was great. I mean, I can't wait to get into this. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Grade A return. This is, episode. I think, the most popular part of season three. With yeah, some Apple Dad. We saw something like that. Like 16 was the one everyone watched the most. He got a bump. At that yeah, episode. got a bump, and I think the the rating, the IMDb rating. I can't remember where it was that I saw all the, the ratings for all the individual parts, but I remember this one was the highest ranked. And it, it makes sense because it's super tight. Um, we we get some finality. A lot of finality. A lot of finality. And, of course, Cooper awakes from his Dougie stupor and uh, goes on a uh, uh, kind of a, a nostalgia tour with some uh, some Cooperisms, which I think, which I think was very and popular. And some bad acting. <laughs> I, think, I think it was deliberate. Deliberately saccharine. It was. It was supposed to be like, uh, yeah, Wizard of Oz, like a, like a fairy tale. Like it wasn't real, almost, Tom. Well, didn't that whole coma scene with the Mitchums and Candy, Mandy, Sandy, that and is the Wizard of Oz? And Bush, no, like it's yes. very Wizard of Oz esque. The first scene and the last scene, or he has the last scene when she wakes up. Yes, from her dream. But just uh, like Cooper just woke up from his dream. And you know who else woke up in this episode? Diane. Well, you could from say the Tulpa that, Stupor. That's true, but someone else. As well, uh, little Dicky Horn finally woke up from his bad <laughs> ways with the big electrical jolt. No, one more. Uh, brother Jerry also probably snapped out of it his his crazy maniacal ways after he saw the electricity killing of his nephew and or Audrey so. Horn. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Audrey. Isn't it interesting that you have little Dicky Horn, the product of uh, Mister C raping Audrey when she was in a coma? at the end of the original series and you have uh cooper waking up from his coma in this episode and then you have uh, the bastard child of mr c and audrey dying via electricity in the same episode that audrey wakes up there's a lot of symmetry here my friend and also the same episode that another one of his victims diane wakes up from her tulpa torpor and talks about him raping her as well mr c 
Yes. Yeah. Yes, that is true. Yeah. yeah so so. There's all kinds of. This is like a script writing confluence convergence episode where everything comes together. It all ties together. Yeah, it's very tight. Yeah. And there's only one scene in Twin Peaks, and it's the final scene with Audrey. You've got Eddie Vedder on stage, and uh, uh, a great moment with Audrey and her little nostalgia bit. Just like James had his at the Roadhouse singing. Hers is way better. That's one of the most iconic scenes in the whole, like her doing the dance. I I think that's one of the most iconic, top ten iconic scenes. Maybe not best scene, but one that really is... uh, it's a mind fuck, and it also is like the perfect like symbol for the return twenty five years later. Seeing her, damn, I mean, it was great. I love yeah, it. no, I think it's. Weird. I would put it in the top ten iconic scenes of the original series, but it's also a, a Lynch directed episode. Just like the James, just you and I bit at the Roadhouse, that was a callback to another Lynch directed episode. So I think there were few moments of we want to call them nostalgia or not, but callbacks. And I think every single one of them was a Lynch-directed episode. He didn't uh, – I think there was a reason why He's not going to call back Leslie Lincoln-Glitter episode. <laughs> I don't know, but that's like – Harley uh, Payton? That's why there's no Justice Definitely Jack. not Frost either. Oh, well. But I'd love was, to do, uh, bite the bullet type situation. Yeah, that was from a Frost-directed episode. If you brought that back, something like that, would be cool. Uh, that would have been great. I, I agree, but I think we know Poo-poo who that. was in charge. Yeah. And Lynch. He did poo it. Yeah. some poo-pooing. Well, are we ready to watch, watch this thing? Let's We're do this. We're going to it up at the Rancho Rosa logo. Uh and here we are, gliding over uh, Twin Peaks Falls. Is that what it's called? Twin Peaks Falls? Twin Peaks Falls? Falls of Twin Peaks? What's it called? <laughs> Great Northern the Waterfall? Falls? The, what's, what's the waterfall called? It's called something. You hiked it, actually. You were there last summer. You hiked it. What's it called? It's a good question. I, I'd still Kwame Falls, maybe? Laura Falls? Laura Falls. Yeah. <laughs> Maddie Falls? How about Falls? Leland Falls? Leland Falls. Ooh, Ooh, that's good. That's yeah. good. So what would you say is the best <laughs> part of this episode? If you had to, like, I, I know what mine is. My the best part, I think it's the opening. Why? Tell us more. It's the little dicky horn and uh, Mr. C. I love that the first shot is the POV of the highway at night. It's callback to uh, not only part eight, but uh, Lost Highway, major Lost Highway vibes in uh, season three, especially part 18 for me. And uh, just opening with that made me immediately uh, conjure uh, the emotions of watching part eight. And then to see this silent journey for about, I don't know, 90 seconds, two minutes of Mr. C and, and little Dickie Horn with little Dickie Horn just kind of stealing glances at uh, his, his yeah. papa. No, he's where he's is not he suspecting taking? papa. Did he ask but... him, where are we going? He goes home. <laughs> he no, no dialogue the whole time, you think? No, there's no dialogue until yeah. they get out of the car. So it's a great uh, build up of, I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know that it was uh, leading to the, the false coordinates and I thought when he was driving in 14 or 15 in the beginning going to the, uh, the convenience store I thought he, they were maybe going to the convenience store perhaps well but they just left the convenience store mm-hmm. maybe go back <laughs> it can bounce around <laughs> yeah, I guess so but that it's like you said last night when we were talking about this it really is kind of like a little eight minute Lynch mini movie it yeah, has very dark. yeah very dark it has uh, the Mysteriosa it has the comic Great relief soundtrack with Jerry Horn, it has the great soundtrack, and it has the unsuspecting payoff, and then it has the great you know punchline, "Goodbye, my son." Goodbye, my son. Very, very, uh, yeah, Star Wars ish. Yeah, so I what is... he went like, he made a little sound too whenever he saw it, like because like he knew. I thought it was a test. You know what I'm saying? Like he said, like three people I asked for coordinates, two gave me the same ones. What would you do? And I think it was a test for his intelligence. He goes, "Well, look, check out the sick the two. <laughs> He goes, uh, okay, go up there and check it out. But I think in his mind, he was like, you're a moron. 
But that's why he brought him there in the first place. He was totally setting setting him up. But didn't he also, after Little Dicky Horn spontaneously combusted, didn't he utter, oh? Yeah, he was like, oh, or mm. He kind of like, he made a sound, a reaction, like, oh. So he didn't know exactly what was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't know. That's why, I mean, he would have, yeah. But I think he knew. He had to go check it out. He didn't know what was going to transpire, but he knew. So what is your favorite scene in this uh, episode? I think Diane, the whole Diane scene where her revelation and then her turning into a tulpa and flying away and like re-enacting re, uh, the night when Cooper came over, no knock, no doorbell and raped her. And like that was fucked up. And that yeah. was that was a really great, intense scene. And I still think Tammy disappears at one point. She might be a tulpa herself. She does. It's framed oddly yeah. with Albert. So, suddenly she's out of the shot. But they were thinking maybe she was ducking down into her bag to grab her gun because like one like, yeah. But anyway, but uh, that was my favorite. And also, fuck you. Like, I'm, you know, I'm in hell. I know. Fuck you. When she's in the lodge. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Great. That's a great. That's that such an iconic yeah. moment. Her sitting cross-legged yes. in the chair. Yes. And just saying, fuck you. Um, it's interesting with Diane uh, when she is walking to the hotel room, the, the room to meet with Cole, Albert, and Tammy. Lynch chose to cue up that American Woman remix that he did that... Yeah, she chopped, they chopped it down and screwed it. Chopped, chopped and screwed is what they call it, I think. Chopped and screwed. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. so the sweetened do. mix is yeah. what I thought it was. Yeah. The Lynch mix. But, um, down. Which was a, a callback to, it was used once before in the very first episode when uh, Mr. C was being introduced. So there's another instance, though, of My Prayer, which we first heard in Part 8 uh, during the New Mexico section with the little girl right before the frog moth um, that enters her mouth, but also in part 18 during the ritualistic sex magic scene between Mr. C, or excuse me, into, with uh, Cooper and Diane. So both of those pieces, musical pieces, their callbacks happen with the Diane character or the Diane Tulpa character. Maybe she and Cooper listened to music back in the day. They used to listen to music a lot. <laughs> or maybe she, yeah, maybe she, she was, when she was Nido up in the, the space station, maybe they had a radio station up there and they're getting some music. With the frog moth, Invading the little girl who we think is, is Sarah Palmer, um, who we're seeing here is Diane, who is not Diane. She's a tulpa. So she is not who she claims to be. And she even says that I'm not me. Yeah, so so the know. entire time until she fesses up, she was the tulpa Diane. The real Diane was Nido. And she says, I'm in the sheriff's station. That meant that that was she was Nido. She's calling out from within Nido. I'm at the sheriff's station. or I'm in the sheriff's station. Uh, we got Jerry Horn here. This was oh, seeing him running scene. up. With the legs high, <laughs> knees high, like, you know, the old football practices that we used to have, you know, with the tires and everything. Knees high, hooker, knees high. Um, and then stopping and saying, people? And then he brings out the binoculars, but he looks through the wrong end of the binoculars. And it makes me think that Jerry's got one foot, maybe his left foot, I am not your foot, in the lodge or some other world because of his experiences in the woods and it makes sense that he's looking through the wrong end like the reverse end of the binoculars just like everything is in reverse in the black lodge so that might be a little subtle visual clue yeah. there, my friend maybe he always did that he's a pretty abstract thinker probably a left-handed person likes to like do things different yeah. as well so it tied into that he's thinking the other way he's looking through the other side of the lens through the looking glass but the other way that's true but i don't think he recognizes mr c or little dicky horn because he's looking through the wrong end. So he wasn't that upset that his nephew just got electrocuted and his head exploded and turned into a bunch of fireworks in front of his eyes. Like right. He didn't think that he did that himself by pointing the binoculars I, at him. I, I think he probably thought his presence had something to do with it, and he was freaked out because didn't he say, bad binoculars, bad binoculars? Yeah. But yeah. with little Dicky Horn being uh, completely eviscerated, pulverized, spontaneously combusted, what, whatever you want to you know say... There's going to be no uh, body parts found. So 
He'd be his, what about his pinky ring, Tom? What if he had a pinky ring just like your fucking dad? A distinguishing uh, yes, a piece of jewelry. But he very well might go down in you know as a missing persons case, like forever. Like, yeah, never forever. heard from again. Like they'll never know what happened to him. Well, we family. thought that was going to happen to Jerry too. Like well, I, w- I want to know what the hell Jerry's been doing this like, the whole entire episode season. He's been flying. He's been jumping around like Philip Jeffries, going in and out of his one foot in a portal. Is he like uh, back in time, stuck in time? What's what the fuck? Well, I, I, is he in a reverie? Like he's like a Buddhist, like he's a, he's a spiritual, like maybe he saw the light. He's become like one of those wild yogis back in the day, running around praying and just like waiting for another like spiritual moment to hit him. I think what's going on here is is pretty much encapsulated with the Audrey scene at the end is that the fact that we're dealing with a subtle time shift from Cooper's actions in part 17. We've discussed this ad nauseum about what we think, you know, the first seven parts are in the, I don't know what you call it, the official or unofficial version. And then after it is the flip side of it is that because of that, the characters, especially in Twin Peaks are, I think, feeling the effects of it. And some of them are feeling the effects of it. Like, like Audrey, I think Jerry, Stephen and Gerson, you could say that's drug related, just like with Jerry. But I think that you're seeing other examples uh, throughout as well lucy's wearing the double necklace timepiece which is this kind of visual that you know time is there's there are two timelines perhaps um other examples that i'm i'm, I'm mis- misremembering right now but that is my explanation of what's happening possibly with the jerry character but does Do you think if the retcon about- didn't happen maybe little dicky horn doesn't this is he doesn't die maybe this is the product of the retcon. Well, it's a very interesting question because you know, if the time shift happens, then, you know, Cooper doesn't stay in Twin Peaks for, you know, uh, whatever, a month and go to the Black Lodge. And there's no doppelganger, so there is no He's never born. And he's never born. So this is the way the universe, the retcon universe, had a way of getting rid of him. That's true. Yeah. But Mr. C is, uh, exists. Uh, is he, that's the one yeah. he big... He'd have to disappear at some point. He doesn't disappear, but he never... He does when he gets shot. Well, he does, but he, he never showed up in Vegas. He never confronted Cooper. He seemed to want to kind of stay away from, you know, pretty much because everything. it wasn't real, Tom. Was it real? Well, we go into that, <laughs> but um, it, one thing I was thinking about in uh, part two, when he, or excuse me, it was part three, with that whole thing when, when Cooper's coming out and, you know, the whole vomit with, with Dougie and, and Mr. C and, and everything is that uh, we talked about Mr. C kind of losing his potency, perhaps um, after that, it seemed like he was a little bit more Lost of his Bob bubble juice devious and he still won the wrestling match. Arm wrestling. Oh, oh wait, he did. Yeah. That. There was still, still that moment, but maybe he was affected by that as well. Like with maybe the, the time shift, because the whole non-existent thing that was discussed or was said by the doppelganger of the evolution of the arm um, could pertain to Cooper, but it also could have, could pertain to time itself because those two entities, Mr. C and Cooper apparently cannot exist in the quote unquote real world at the same time. So maybe time in itself for this particular, you know, season three, you know, the, whatever it's nine days, eight days, whatever it is, is non-existent. Um, the whole series is stuck in time. Season three. Yeah. Yeah. It's all of Cooper's dream. No, it's not. That's, that's too easy. It's too <laughs> and easy. And a Mr. C loop. It's there's the, those things together. Yeah, there's the loops, but I think that's why things appear glitchy at times as well, is because of the, that main event of Cooper coming out when he wasn't supposed to, and uh, 
it's very interesting to note is that the doppelganger of the evolution of the arm doesn't actually show up until the moment that Cooper's looking out of the curtains and the car passes. The moments, uh, the moment of, of transference where they're supposed to switch part places. Three? Part Part two, Four, actually. Two. Part two. That's when the doppelganger shows up. And it's almost like that is the moment that time becomes non-existent. So. Yeah, well, here we are with the Chantal and Hutch uh, staking out Dougie's house. Uh, the FBI shows up. I love this scene because it's leading into one of my favorite scenes in uh, all of Twin Peaks that I think goes under the radar. I move car. I move car, I think, yeah. So uh, I think the Polish accountant might be like a sleeper cell for the White Lodge. I still I think, think that after I, all these years. I think you might be onto something. I think after all in, these years, Tom, is that <laughs> weird to say that after all these years now, all of a sudden? We've been it's, still doing this nonstop, but yeah. It's after been two all plus these years. years. Yeah. yeah, it has been. Th- this little moment of with Chantal and Hutch, I just love them yeah, just being the, idle, yeah. just watching, and, and him saying about Sammy. Yeah, you know? he's a good guy. Like, would you like him? He's like, eh. <laughs> yeah. So, so. You know, Did you tie that back to the guy in part two or part one? Wasn't there a character named Sammy that was at the... Uh, when the, what's her name got killed? He discovered? was the glass box watcher. Yeah. Sam. Sam. But oh, you, oh, that's Sammy. Oh, that, okay, yeah. But can you see Ross? Can see them hanging out together, though. Yeah, see, that's what I yeah. thought as well. Unless yeah. they're part of like a uh, like a hit, a heist. <laughs> he didn't seem like he's part of a heist. <laughs> he didn't look, he looked yeah. more like a college student. Like Elijah Wood, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, this is the you know, setup of the, the great payoff, which we're going to get here in a little bit, of uh, um, uh, the Polish accountant. But uh, it's also interesting to note that they would have stayed, Chantal and Hutch would have stayed outside the Joneses' home for conceivably like days. And eventually, as we know in part 18, the Cooper Tulpa would have shown up. It would killed her. Killed and him, then yeah. they would, so it was necessary. To sit, the, you know, what, for the fireman to sit down the Polish accountant. Exactly. Just like a Freddy, a Freddy sleeper cell. Yeah. Yeah. So in all in this particular, episode, how many how many regular guys have a Uzi in the, in the trunk? We are in Texas. Yeah. You do realize well, that's that. true. Well, here, <laughs> here we are now. Here's Cooper in the Wizard of Oz scene. He's in a coma. We got Bushnell. We got Janie E and the kiddo. It's just uh, you know kind of lies flat with me. But uh, also, if he pulls a respirator out of his, out of his mouth, that would be uh, almost certain death. So he that wasn't very realistic. Is he? Does he look that sick to you, Tom? Okay, so... <laughs> Here come the Mitchum brothers. <laughs> yeah, first that was great. <laughs> Mania City. See, I like this part. But, I would uh, have loved when he pulled the respirator out if he would have said... Ouch. That hurt. How long have I been oh, out? Oh, Tom, yes. It's been another callback. Yeah. Which, one of our favorite lines from the original series. But uh, the whole thing with this particular section, and we talked about this, has a little bit of a kind of a Wizard of Oz vibe to it. And the fact that Cooper, as soon as Bushnell leaves... Uh, the room after hearing the hum which is associated with Philip Gerard because Philip Gerard shows up there and then he just pulls it out and he's back I mean that is the biggest tell for me that this isn't reality you know it's not really going on I mean it's much deeper than that this isn't like an episode of Dallas in the 80s where Bobby Ewing shows up in the shower after four seasons of being presumably dead and it's all a dream. It's much, much deeper than that. And even when we talk about, oh, you know, this section is Cooper's dream, and maybe part 18 is Laura's dream, it, it is deeper than that. There are sub-levels of that. It's not as, as cut and dry as there's one dreamer or, or, or multiple dreamers. And even in that construct, it's still, I think, uh, 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 so layered, it's almost impossible to kind of figure out what exactly is going on but there are enough moments in here to kind of like put together i think realistic theories and i've read some great ones online that's the beautiful thing is that there's so many you know theories that out there and a a lot of them 
makes sense. And that's the testament to, I think, the screenwriting process of Lynch and Frost is that I don't think they were doing that intentionally, but the way that it's layered with so much stuff going on and it's almost, you know, in contrast to the pace of it is so languid at times, but there is so much going on below the surface that here we are two plus years later talking about it. Well, yeah, we still haven't figured this scene out, which is just Lynch like in the FBI room and in uh, in, uh, the hotel, just like listening to the sounds. Yes. It's kind of like Bob in the basement in the original pilot going like Bob and Mike, like he's in the same kind of pose. Yeah, so he's either doing one of two things here. This might be the biggest tell of the entire series with Cole being tapped into something deeper, um, a la Cooper and Chet Desmond, the field agents um, that relied on their intuition and their dreams and whatnot, is that I think he's picking up something with all of these devices, the the massive influx of electricity in this room, either related to Diane or maybe subconsciously, intuitively, what's going on with Cooper, because it does transition from all these machines in the hotel room to the, uh, the, the machine in the hospital room. It's like the transition is so it's almost like it, they're connected somehow. So I think Cole, what we're doing, seeing here is that Cole is tapped in. Through the electricity, perhaps. Well, it's more his than that. His spirit could be going through uh, his little EKG meter all the way That's over to Cooper. Right. To, to, yeah. That's right. But I think because when Diane enters the hotel room, later on in the episode, Cole, I think, knows something's going to go down because Albert and Tammy are ready to fire yeah, at a moment's still notice. Part. Yeah, so does. I think that like scene... Uh, was the whole reason why they were in that fucking hotel room for five episodes, like, just for this moment right here? Like, you know? Like, should the, like, the, his salads, we listen to the salads and say, get, you know, get to quote tweaks, you're, you're way off? Well, I think... I, I mentioned this to 12. you the other night, but the one thing missing... From the Blue Rose Task Force in season three is a plan. <laughs> <laughs> Ding <Yo>. is <laughs> it's just good cinema. Is the uh, field agent? Is the Cooper? Is the Chet Desmond? Is like the Philip Jeffries beforehand? Albert is a forensic genius who's now probably pretty more administrative. Tammy would be yeah, that No one person. knocked on doors. No one like beat down doors and went That's around. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they needed yeah, right. someone out there chasing yeah. Mr. C, chasing Ray, all getting all these clues, going to Twin Peaks, all the stuff they're talking about. They have this agent go and checking it out. Maybe like Phil Bisbee should have been an FBI agent. <laughs> Instead of working for the real estate agency. Yeah, just doing that. Just one step behind, constantly getting foiled. Yeah, yeah, I would have loved wow. to have seen it. So that's what's missing is that they're just, and I think that's why they're content, you know, drinking the Bordeaux and monitoring Diane's uh, uh, cell phone messages and whatnot. Is I think it's all part of the the, the plan that Cole is uh, uh, not has not told Albert yet is that he knows he's waiting for a sign from Cooper uh, related to the two birds with one stone related to the Jow Day, which he discusses in part eighteen. And I think he's just waiting for something once Cooper reemerged. Because he says in part 18, you know, we still haven't heard from Cooper yet. Wasn't he waiting for the dreamer dream? Is that what he's waiting for? Cole or? Yeah, Cole. I, I don't know. It's a good question. Because that but, happened a couple episodes ago. It happened in part 14. Yeah. But when Bellucci says that line, Cole's kind of like, you know, his, his reaction's like, yeah, I, I know that. We are like the dreamer. I, yeah, I know this. But then she gives him the other like clue, like, look behind you and. That was the the thing that he had forgotten was what happened in Philadelphia in 1989 with Philip Jeffries. And who do you think that is there? Because Cole doesn't I just know think about We should have filed a report about that and just been able to remember that. The, he forgot about it, but there's a report. Shifting timelines, oh, my friend. Yeah. Everything's getting fuzzy. He never saw a secretary or his assistant who would be doing that job. He probably, he probably was very lazy himself. Cole's? Yeah, didn't take any notes. 
I think Cole probably had like he had two secretaries in Firewalk with me, a blonde and a brunette. Remember? Yeah, go back to them. They have, they have the files. I think he probably still. He has. probably just forgot. Yeah, he's old. <laughs> well, here we go. Polish accountant time. Uh, yeah, here come the Mitchum brothers with a giant stack of food. They're so nice. Do you yeah. really think they're good souls? They're really golden souls. You know, we saw the first ten or so episodes. They didn't seem like they were golden souls. Just because they didn't kill them in the desert, give them some pie. Is that all it takes? <laughs> you <gonna> keep going, <laughs> Jim said. <laughs> I do think they have hearts of gold because even before the pie scene in, in part eleven, which is probably a, a top ten scene in, in season three as well, that whole ending scene. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, that the their uh, reaction when Candy is, I think, with Sizemore, and you, they're watching her on the, the the surveillance monitor, and they're just exasperated, and like, ah, oh, again. And I nice. think Belushi yeah. says, like, you know, if we fire, she's got nowhere to go. Oh, that's true. So yeah, even they they care true. about yeah, the okay. girls, and they don't treat them sexist. In a, at least it doesn't. I mean, it is kind of well, sexist. It's kind of like sex slavery, actually. It, it kind of is, but they don't washing and yeah, so forth. We're not at least getting. There's yeah, an the the off-power dynamic in that relationship. There though. is. Yeah. There is. But you you do see the hint of the, the hearts of gold. I get it, yeah. And the fact that they're going so over the top after they get their check for $30 million, the car, the gym set, the food. That, I mean, it's just like Dougie is their number one priority. That's that, Does, the that, does of gold. that mean that they sent flowers to Brett Gelman in episode four after they beat the crap out of him in five? Because <laughs> he's employee for losing $800,000 to Mr. <laughs> no, Jackpot? He, no, no, he was incompetent. No flowers? No nothing? No flowers for him. Maybe they did. Maybe did they, they rehire him back? Just with a pay, <laughs> pay decrease? Well, here you go. Here's right, here we scene. go. Here's the Polish accountant. Yeah, he seems like, uh, just looking at him, seems like he's uh, from the lodge. What's well, the Z? The yeah, Zawaski. That's, that's yeah. the big There tale. it is, the Q. We've seen that on uh, Madeline Zima's coffee cup. We've seen it in the pie store. You're right. Science. Vegas. Yeah. And here it is, number three. Yeah. Was there any Z on Freddy? Uh, no, that's a good question. No, I don't think so. But the way that this whole scene uh, is uh, unfolds, the build-up, the suspense, uh, the acting, and then the complete, you know, unexpected turn of this Polish accountant showing up and like the driveway. They're, they're they are not parked in his driveway, by the way. We never you can tell. It. Oh, really? No, okay. Yeah. There's one shot. They're not. Like it's inch? close. Yeah. But they're not. And how you know he's i move car and or well, he's going to move car and how this and then the whole gunfire and then the fbi agents just watching just watching it happen yeah and not doing anything it's like white versus black his white mercedes versus the, the white lodge trying to fight back against the black lodge here trying to uh, oh, that's true that's just yeah, like burn uh, an assassination attempt on their their prize uh draft pick just like the uh the boxing match that sarah palmer's watching with the one boxer in white trunks and the other boxer in the black trunks if you want to go I actually never far. noticed that who wins in that one? The Black Lodge. Oh, no, of course. She's probably rooting for that, isn't <laughs> yeah. she? That's why she has it on replay. Yeah. So here it is. This is like a very Tarantino scene, I think. It's like, uh, it's great. It's got humor, action, characterizations. It's got two Tarantino exes in this movie, or that were in lots of his movies. It, feels it does. Like it's a good and Tarantino Lynch scene. is, he doesn't do very many action scenes, and this this would you know, this would, uh, qualify as a, an action scene. And it's extremely well done. I mean, just the bullets and the, the kill scene. Um and uh, I love the direction we found in you know, Tim Roth's interview that Lynch told him to do Elvis Ragdoll when he was getting... Yeah, uh, Ragdoll? Yeah, Elvis Ragdoll. And so we're watching it right now, the Elvis Ragdoll. Yeah, maybe that's like the fireman like holding like a marionette from the sky. He's, he's, he's staying up a lot. He's getting shot like 14 times. He should have fallen down for one. He's being held up by something, possibly well, that's force. That's kind of the absurdity of it. That Lynch doesn't want to go... I mean, with the special effects not being exactly uh, uh, perfect with some instances... 
I think he likes certain uh, elements of kind of a, a, a non-reality. What he should have done is when uh, Chantal died, she should have gone, court nuts! <laughs> <laughs> like Heather's. How very. Yeah. Yeah, now they should. Here we are. Yeah, yeah, the FBI finally. They're going to come out and do something. They didn't even duck. Like, they they would think they'd be afraid of being caught in the crossfire. That's true. They had a bulletproof SUV. But then he lays it down, lays down his Uzi, raises his hands, great uh, crane shot, pulling back in the greatest line ever. What kind of neighborhood is this? People are under a lot of stress, Bradley. A great line. And (laughs) And people were under a lot of stress, Tom, at the time this came out. And we still are. It's true. And just to watch Nepper's line reading of that, and he looks to Belushi after he says it, like expecting Belushi to look at him. Yeah. Just, just the, yeah. that little subtlety yeah. made me laugh. So they and do it, have parts of gold talk. Yeah. You sold me. <laughs> so great, Matt. Another masterful shot, kind of like uh, the Dickie Horn shot or say uh, set piece. They're two great set piece scenes here. We've yeah, we've had two great set pieces, Except and we're still this. slowly yeah. building up. I mean, can't you feel the audience? They yes, know. everybody was gathering around like it was the Super Bowl. We're all waiting for Cooper to wake up. And the fact that the one our man here, because I think this is the scene here, it's right after Chantal and Hutch are killed. So basically, that threat is eliminated, it right? It took a chess piece off the board, a black chess piece. So the one our man could go ahead and press the, the hum button. So the hum goes off, get Bushnell out, and cue Cooper to wake up. But then that. It'd be cool if he showed up as a candy striper. The one our man just as a candy striper? <laughs> no, you know what he should, uh, he should have showed up as? What? He should have showed up in, like, the police guard uniform. Oh, but, oh yeah. From prison like part of the prison. Yeah, yeah like, part Because yeah. he was the. Come on. He was the one who gave him. Yeah, I just see him in costumes. Yeah. He's in the room. He's able to give him the ring. So. There could have been any moment like where, you know, Dougie's in bed and the one our man could have showed up and like literally been shaking him. Like, wake up, wake but up, he wake did, up. He did. Don't die. Don't die. He did it several times. He showed up. I know, but he was doing his like kind of like mojo. Like, Do you ever think his... he showed up at like inopportune moments? Like he was on the John or something? Or, you know. <laughs> yeah. See, I see this is what I didn't see. I didn't love this. It's a little bit too uh, plotty, a little bit too easy. It's like we're watching, you know, give me the seed and giving him hair, you know, come on. But OK, so here's the base. still out. We get it. Yeah. Well, no, we don't get it because Cooper now wakes up and not only does he remember everything from the whole Dougie, you know, experience in these previous 12, 13 episodes, but he knows everything that was going on, like outside of it. Um, Like, you know, do you have the seed? Do you have the seed? So the seed would have been the the one I mean, of course, he's got the seed, Tom. But how does Cooper know that he has the seed? (laughs) Did Cooper know that he had a tulpa in Las Vegas named Dougie Jones? Yes. How did he know that? Because he just woke up and achieved full consciousness. He's like Buddha. He just—that's it. He woke up. Now he knows everything. <laughs> For, until we get to seventeen, and he goes back in. So he knows Freddy. Yes, he does know Freddy. Remember, he knows Freddy. That's what I'm saying. See, that's what I'm saying. He achieves full consciousness. I want some explanation yeah. from you, and you're just saying he's a full Buddha. He's just all knowing. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, I mean, this is plotty. We want people to catch up. We, it's boring to watch him just wake up and just like stare off into the distance like a Buddha, and then go and do his deeds. You want to see him talking about some procedural stuff here with the one our man popping in. It's funny. Wouldn't you have liked the uh, the Buddha Cooper scene, like uh, Gandolfini in The Sopranos, that Vegas section at the end? Remember he, yeah, yeah. that enlightened moment. Yeah. And the same thing with uh, like that, uh, yeah. Badman, like at the end of that series. He just seemed a little bit like almost like overacting. Like, do you have the seed? It was kind of like, are you ready for this? Kind of like Regis Philbin. <laughs> are you ready for it? Here it is. I agree with you, but at the same time, I think it was intentional. It's like meta. They're playing with the the, the, the the form, whatever. Like, this is something we've seen a million times. People in comas waking up on, like, soap operas and everything. Like, Wizard of Oz. Right. And they're, they're playing with our expectations. And uh, 25 years later, that he's not going to be exactly the same. I mean, he's not going to have the same intonation, the same inflection. He's been, you know, in the lodge for 25 years and in a, you know, Dougie Stupor for, for a week. Uh, he hasn't found his inner Cooper yet. 
Do you think the character who's her doctor really was working at the Great Northern in season one? Because isn't that the same actress? No, I think Lynch just likes that actress because she was in Wild at Heart and he cut her out. Oh. Just like Scott Coffee. He's kind of bossy, though, isn't he? He is bossy. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, come on. Give me those finger sandwiches. Yeah. Give me the suit. Sunny yeah. Jim, Jenny E., go out and get the car. Give me your Here's gun. a note. Yeah. When do you have time to write the note? Did you write the note? <laughs> it's a good question. In his coma? He just had it, yeah. Yeah, had it ready. And when does he, does he have, is he packing, he's not packing heat here, right? He has Bushnell to give him his gun. But the gun that he pulls out in part 18 at the Judy's Diner. Different gun. That's not the same gun. Well, it gun. transformed. It transformed. It did when he went through, yeah. Okay, so like there's some kind of magical like Nine millimeter all of a sudden, right? Why does Bushnell have a gun? Just because he's like one of those guys, open carry deeds? Bushnell's a tough guy. Yeah. It's Vegas is a tough, tough town, dude. my it friend. Is. He's an insurance he man. He probably wore six shooters back in the old days, his younger years. Cole's got a six shooter. Yeah. So here it is. Here's the classic moment. And what uh, probably your favorite line in the entire show, right? Uh, which is what? I don't know. You didn't put subtitles on, so I can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> Whose fault was that? <laughs> well, Bushnell asks him, you know, don't you want to wait for the FBI? Oh, and I am the FBI. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it is, pleaser. I get it. It's almost framed exactly like the moment in the second season, that roadhouse scene with uh, Leland and the giant and uh, when Cooper realizes it was Leland who killed Laura yeah. and he gives the thumbs up, it's framed almost exactly the same way. And it, I'm not saying it's a callback because Lynch didn't direct that particular episode. Mitchell brothers didn't even ask you any questions. They didn't like say, hey, you're, what the hell is going on? I wonder how long does it last? Would like, he be in their favor like forever? Or would eventually it be like, you know, year two? I need a jet to Spokane. They're like, listen, Dougie. You've, you've gone too I'm far. Sure. Yeah. You weren't your welcome at our casino. <laughs> We've got the Twin Peaks theme playing here, the mm-hmm. uh, Falling by Julie Cruz. Um, Vegas is wrapping up. Um, Cooper is awake. Um, and we're leading to the, the, the scene at the Silver Mustang Casino where he has to say a very poignant goodbye to his family. It reminded me of... Donna and uh, Ben Horn. That's right. And yeah. Doc Hayward. You're my daddy. You're my daddy. Yeah. <laughs> I cried episode. when I first saw that episode because I knew it was ending the show. I was in an emotional state because I didn't want the show to end. And I was hanging on every scene. And I wept tears of joy uh, at that. I rewatched it again last night. Heart dead. Nothing. Felt nothing. But it was a good scene. <laughs> oh, so you're not that's talking his best about... Acting. That, that's Cooper's best acting once he comes awake. He comes alive. Yeah, well, you can give, give him benefit of the doubt of being in the hospital room and being, you know, a little bit, you know, disoriented, trying to get things. I still know. liked him, though, like when he was woke up from the coma in the original series, and he was like, how long have I been out? Like, I need to drink of water. Like, whatever it is, like, he was, it was more little humor, but it was kind of like, you know, he just woke up for 25 years. Just some calisthenics, maybe something. It was the bathroom. It wasn't, I want to drink of water. It was wood I need tick, to brush my teeth. Crawling. Yeah, that too. Yeah. And he also needed to brush his teeth at the end. That was the end of the Yeah, but I'm just saying when he wakes up from these comas. Right, that's true. Oh, here we go. Diane's greatest scene. What I want to know, I I love first, I love the reaction when she gets the text. She goes, which is hilarious. (laughs) But I also want to know, like, what does all mean? And then why the smiley face? Is that the Bob face? Ooh, ooh, that's good. Because she says, like, Bob emoji. I saw his face and he smiled. Like, later when I was scared and he smiled. Very good, my friend. See, I thought originally the all meant to exterminate. Yeah, kill all. Kill them all. But now, because of let Bob when, him out. When, when, him all, let Bob when Mr. C sent the text was right after the little Dickie Horn scene at the beginning, and he has only one set of coordinates left, but I don't think they're complete because the coordinates on Ruth Davenport's arms were kind of smudged or whatever. Yeah. Because Diane says in the scene, like, oh, I remember. And then she sends him the coordinates. But it also seems like it could be like a trigger word as well. And it could also yeah. be that maybe she was created... Ultimately, for this moment, 
And once, you know, uh, she got the coordinates, she didn't serve any role for Mr. C. And knowing that Cole and Albert and Tammy had the coordinates as well, that they probably would come after. So he would want her to go ahead and, and, and eliminate them. Because look at that look on her face. Like She looks like she's going to, like, suicide bomb. It's like her tulpa is becoming a, a conscious of what's been happening. Is that what's, what's happening here? She's waking up and realizing she is a tulpa. Is, she also has memories of Diane as well because she's like, yeah. I'm trying to help out Coop. But then she – because she's like, I'm in the sheriff's station. I'm in the sheriff's station. Like, where she's showing us that, like, the version of her that's the real her that was hiding in Nido's body all this time was calling out through her. Right. I think that since she probably is someone of good character, wasn't uh, uh, evil – like a lodge created doppelganger that even being tulpa she's going to have like good qualities even if she's being manipulated by an evil you know a demon like mr c so i think that's what we've we've seen in uh season three and you know what diane is kind of represents to me a little bit is uh is she has certain like qualities uh similar to laura um, you have uh, the the version of, of NATO who is without eyes and could be you know perceived as you know someone who is you know a victim who is like alone in her own kind of world and then you have this Tulpa character is clearly conflicted and then you have the real supposed Diane that we see in, in part 18 who is, still has all these memories but is you know able to like march forward with cooper and to complete this mission but then seeing her doppelganger kind of freaks out and takes off so a lot of these qualities kind of like are similar to to laura laura we've seen her she has a doppelganger laura certainly has a dark side laura has a good side um so it's interesting to note that that because i thought that when nato was going to be you know revealed when the, the the mask was being peeled away in part 17 I, I did for a moment think that it was going to be laura because i knew laura was coming back i didn't know that she was going to be in odessa because it w- kind of makes sense especially with the american girl being renette in part three that if they were occupying the same space maybe even at a different time that would have been such a, an interesting uh a reveal but it also would have made sense just like it would have made sense if it was annie so um the, the Diane character is clearly, clearly conflicted. I don't think that she wants to to kill. I mean, these these were colleagues of hers, but she is not who she claims to be. She is someone who is manufactured, as the one arm man will say here shortly. Well, maybe she was also programmed to kill. You know, with all, like you're saying, it had multiple uh, implications, and it was like an activation, like in uh, Manchurian Candidate when they saw the, right, the right. Queen of Hearts or whatever, right. that she had to do this. She was out of control because she could tell she doesn't want to do what she's doing here. Like, she's freaking out. She's fighting against her own programming right and it's very likely that um what we're seeing here with excuse me in any number of scenes too is the the dream aspect of it the the dreaminess of it i mean we have serious gunfire and bullets and no bloodshed and no bullets in the wall and no one pounding on doors what's going on in room blah 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 this does have kind of a cold did not even react (laughs) he did not even react he just said like sheriff customer yeah yeah so, I mean... He just squint his eyes. Yeah. I mean, that's what's so, uh, to me, after you know two plus years loving this show, still talking about it and, and discussing it, is that all of these threads, there's just so much material, so many different rabbit holes that you can go down. And uh, like I said, I've said this before, it's like really like nine David Lynch movies. We're still trying to dissect Lost Highway and Mulholland Drive, these movies that are just over two hours long. This is like an 18-hour movie. So it makes sense that it's like times nine. It's like so much more 
deep and so many more rabbit holes. I like to see the entire movie on Diane. Like, I, this, what's so great about this is the way she retells the love affair that she had, and you could tell that she loved him. Like, all those years she worked for him, she had a love for him, and then finally he comes over after all of this, and he fucking rapes her. And the fact that when she he saw her, the fear in her eyes, that he, like, smiled, and that, that probably was when Bob came out. Do you think what? Cole goes, like, when she goes, and he smiled, and it was like the you know, but if he goes like, did the smile look like this? And he pulled up like the the picture of Bob, uh, Bob to, to by Andy. <laughs> have you seen been, this man? Yeah, have you seen this man? It probably would have been the same smile. Well, no, it, like I said, it, talking about the similarities with Laura Palmer. I mean, this is exactly what Laura Palmer was. She was raped by Bob, and I'm you know when Bob crept into her room and firewalk with me through the the window, and then when he mounted her, he has the evil Bob smile. I mean, that's kind of his mo. And isn't so Diane, Laura, Audrey, Sarah, who else has been raped? Teresa Banks, Ronette. Yeah. That's a lot of people. Yes. A lot of women get murdered or raped. Yeah. Doesn't like the one armed man say, like, oh, he is Bob, eager for fun. Yeah. He wears a smile. Everybody, Everybody run. run. Yeah, he does. He's, yeah. uh, and this is also spirit. just a great uh, uh, acting moment for. Great acting moment. Yeah. Like, really. Yeah. She's my favorite new character. She really is. Uh, I loved her. I've just seen a lot more of her. Yeah, she, she really was. Uh, and, uh, uh, and even her in 18. I want to see more, like, where'd she go? When she left the hotel, it's the a hotel very, yeah. a very, very good question. Um, and, she wasn't and, supposed to be down there. You know, what I'm saying like she, I, I try to get out. Like, we're, uh, well, that's the whole thing is that this this retconning of like Cole having this conversation with not only Cooper but with Major Briggs when there was no interaction with Major Briggs in the original series, and there was the entity of Zhao Day, and they came up with this whole plan 25 years ago. But now the whole Diane and Cooper love affair, because uh, she says here. You know, we only we, it happened only once before. We kissed only once before, and it seems like in part seventeen and eighteen that it's much deeper than this employee-employer relationship. That it, obviously it was more than that. She was kind of his girl Friday, Probably best friends. But that there's a deep passion between the two. It's almost it was almost more on a level of like, hey, this is Jeffrey and Sandy in Blue Velvet kind of passion, yeah, as opposed to a Cooper and Diane. Well, that's why it was felt that way when we saw them in eighteen. For yeah. finally get reunited, we felt that, yeah. Blue Velvet vibe. Yeah. And I think even in one of the behind the scenes, when Lynch is directing or blocking the scene in the hotel room, he even mentions Blue Velvet 25 years later. Dude, she reminds me of Diane Ladd so much in this. Like her mama. Her mama. (laughs) You mean Luna's Like right here. Yeah, she's going full lad. He raped me. Oh, my God. Look at his eyebrow raise. Jesus, dude. Don't you think he could be tried when he came back? They should have, like, just slapped the cuffs on him as soon as he came out. We are like the dreamer. You're under arrest for rape of <laughs> Diane Selwyn. Or not Selwyn. What's her last name? Evans. Diane Evans, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but the whole thing of taking her to the convenience store, This she says it was three or four years after she last had contact with Cooper. So I'm assuming it was probably shortly thereafter his disappearance. So this probably happened in the mid-90s. So she has been a tulpa for 20-plus years, which is interesting because... Um, why, here's the thing, my question is, why did Cole uh, ask Albert that to, to basically get Diane to confirm whether or not that was Cooper that they saw during that first inter- interrogation? So I think that Cole somehow intuitively knew that Diane was either not who she claimed to be or still had some information pertaining to Cooper because it just doesn't seem like, let's pull this, you know, our old you know, uh, her, Cooper's old uh, secretary in to find out if it's really who it was. Yeah, come on. Yeah, they knew this was not Dale Cooper that they, they saw in the interrogation room. I think that he knew that what we're seeing unfold here 
was some, something like this was going to happen. She knew more than what was than what she was letting on and that he needed to pull her into the Blue Rose Task Force to get what he needed ultimately is to find Cooper. I mean, great if he had like a living map or some sort of plan that actually laid all this stuff out that we knew what was going on in his head instead of him just being, it was like an invisible living map, an invisible plan. It is. It's yeah. like the scene with the, in the surveillance room <laughs> so by It's almost himself. like he's making it up as he goes along. <laughs> he's just doing it by feel. And now she's gone. She just got told, she got, you know, pulled just like Lois Duffy. Yeah. She disappeared. Tammy, Tammy has the line, her only line in this episode, it's I real. think. It's real. It's a tulpa. Yeah, no bullet holes, nothing, no like, the door. furniture, you know, yeah. kind of turned over. And uh, did this did this happen? Like in twenty years, do you think like if they're in a similar situation and he has another Monica Bellucci dream Tom. and they go back uh, to like this moment and Cole goes, "Damn, I forgot about that." Do you think he would forget about this too? Uh, yeah, it doesn't look like he's gonna be rushing to file the report. He'll probably just let this one slide, <laughs> like everything in his career. And, but this is the greatest scene probably in all Twin Peaks of the return. Her in the lodge, Diane. What a great iconic shot. It's beautiful. I love the way she uh, disassembles here. So here's the thing off. is that, you know, Cooper was asked. She's like a replicant. She is kind of like a replicant. She's an anger replicant. Cooper asked the Philip, uh, Philip Gerard, the one-armed man, for the seed. That was the Dougie seed. So when Diane dies here, her soul expires, the Tulpa life form expires in the lodge, there is a seed. She leaves behind a seed. Is it the right color? A gold seed. I so, know what happens to it. It falls in the, the cushions. They should shake those cushions. There's probably like a million seeds down there. <laughs> I'm saying was another version of Diane. Is there another version of Diane? I mean, if you think about it, there are four Let versions. Go flying away. Let's see. We're watching it now. Does it go flying away? Nothing. just kind of disappears. No, watch. It'll be on the cushion of the uh, of the chair there. Oh, man, I got to make another one. That was a dud. There are four versions of Diane that we know of in this, uh, in season three. Just like there's at least five Coopers that we know of. There it goes. So you yeah. never get to see it. Could have fallen the cushions. Just keep watching, my friend. There's the smoke. There's oh, there the it is. Seed. So what does he do with it? That's it. He just cuts away. That's it. But it exists. He leaves it's it there. there. You think he just left it in the yeah, chair? Yeah, That's what I said. It slid down. Someone sat on it. And <laughs> you think there's, there's just a multiple seeds? Yeah, there's a bunch of seeds down there. Under the cushion. He has a hard time figuring yeah. out whose seed is who. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so when Cooper says to the one-armed man, I need you to make me another. Now, is that him directing the one-armed man again that he had asked him to do this in the past or did he just know knew that the wonder man had done this himself and well he didn't do it in the first time he didn't make it you know but maybe he, unless you're saying he he actually did uh, manifest dougie by a tulpa like ritual like doing the reverse of mr c on dougie but no 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 he, or maybe he just knows what mr c did because it's all they're all coming into their consciousness that's He's, true that's his dark side after all that's Looks true. just like him and i think that there is something like that going on where both of them kind of you know intuitively yeah. know what the other one is thinking and what's going on. They should have done a split screen of them like talking to each other telepathically. <laughs> Luke, Leia, Mike, Bob. But it is interesting that when Cooper gives the Winter Man the seed, and we see that in part 18, that Cooper Tulpa go back home to Janie E and Sonny Jim, that could very well be that boyish, joyful aspect of his personality that was missing in part 18 because maybe there is a, a uh, an effect from creating a tulpa that you lose a part of yourself and maybe you he sacrificed that part of himself that I wouldn't every, sacrifice that part the happy part 
<laughs> Cheerful. Would he, would he want to give that bad part to you know Sonny Jim and, and Janie E? Well, Mr. C was smart. He like the gambler side of him, the slo- slovenly idiot. Well, don't don't you think that the the tulpa of Mr. C or of Dougie Jones or was of Mr. C and not of Cooper? Yeah, yeah, that's what. That's why he was yeah. had a predilection for gambling and prostitutes and mm-hmm. and uh, so Mr. C probably did not then. Well, you know, I, I had that one. I had that one theory that Mr. C was actually posing as Dougie. Or actually, no, I think I read that somewhere. And what? <laughs> and remember, he was he integrated himself into her life, wooed her oh, for yeah. this purpose. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, got married to her and then created the tulpa and then took off. Just because, like, for... cause Janie came to came into town one time, like, in uh, Washington, D.C., when she was he was on a date with Diane and the half-sisters. And he goes, <laughs> yeah. hey, that's, she'd be a good idea, good person to, yeah. Right. Plant my seed, my double seed. Exactly. Yeah. They have him set up. And because now the whole thing is that someone, Janie e was working in a bank. And I think it was the whole thing was that that would have been somehow for him to like launder money or something or oh, okay. get involved with Duncan Todd. But, you know. I kind of like how the uh, the casino lights like ref- refract off her face when she's giving their one kiss here. It's very beautiful. It's almost like a painting. It's beautiful. Well, Lynch is a painter. Yeah. This is a great scene. Very painterly. You know, I love this yeah. shot at the almost end. Almost the most passionate kiss in the entire series. Like season three or all? Just series. I'm trying to think. Of, or no, yeah, season three. Passionate kiss. No, come on. Big Ed and Norma. Oh, that's right. That's right. This is number two then. I love when he pulls back. Lynch pulls back with Janie E and Sonny Jim and you see the the slot machines. Oh, the little bug? The bug. Yeah, the bug. Yeah. That's what it all means. It's like no matter what, there's always going to be a darkness. There's always going to be mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Do you think they're going to be like, go home that night? Like, well, that was a weird day. Yeah. <laughs> Dad was gonna come back. Like, he's gonna come home. There's gonna be like all these police cars and everything, yeah. and, and crime scene tape. What happened here? Stocked house. How are they gonna explain it? Like he's gone. Now this scene is really. It's on but, my list, Tom. Oh come on. <laughs> this scene, the one in the limo on the way. See, look, he's being kind of a jerk to Sandy and Mania. Like, Give me my goddamn drink. Yeah, but look at his reaction he when he sucks through the straw. Look oh, at see, I reaction. saw that, but that's like a you know, Trump does that. He's a monster, but he's <laughs> stupid, goofy shit. Doesn't mean he's gonna have a heart of gold. You know what, just briefly before we go into the Audrey scene here, is that I want to talk about this in greater detail down the road. And as I'm not going to, you know, uh, reveal all the little uh, ideas that I have, but how the original series ended with Cooper possessed by Bob and everyone going and freaking out that, oh, my God, our beloved, you know, uh, special agent is now possessed by the evil demon Bob. And we don't live with that for 25 years. And here's the effect of, of, you know, of that uh, that revelation in season three that we're dealing with. But the whole thing with part 18 at the end, and we're still trying to figure out what the hell was going on. A part of me believes that Judy is a part of, of, of Carrie Page in some kind of way. And that whole end scene with the scream and hearing the lore that she somehow realizes that and that potency, that, that negative potency that she has within her is able to kind of blow out the lights. And she realizes the darkness within her. A part of me believes that Lynch want, wanted to kind of do that, that ending fuck you of like, Laura being the one and being of the light created by the firemen, but being this Carrie Page character and possibly having that darkness within her. So she rejects it when she blows the lights out at the end. No, I think she realizes this. We, we thought that she realized, oh, I am Laura Palmer and this is my home and all the memories of the sexual molestation and all the shit just came flooding over her. And that was that all that, you know, anger and, and, and uh, fear and everything was, you know, came out in that scream. 
and it just blew out the lights like symbolic for me it's more symbolic than anything but it could also be like a realization because laura has a doppelganger it exists in the black lodge and i think there's always been a great duality with laura palmer that maybe along the lines with that what she is also experiencing is that negativity that maybe abstractly she realizes that she has a dark entity within her just like the original series bob wanted to be her and she rejected that and she sacrificed herself to not be possessed by bob but maybe through all these machinations of 25 years of being in the lodge and being sucked out and now being carrie page that she has that darkness within her even though lynch didn't give us anything uh explicitly to kind of go ahead and infer that that's just my own kind of a uh, little bit of a detective work thinking that it's a possibility that that's what we're dealing with at an extreme abstract level can you imagine what her dream life would be like as Carrie Page? <laughs> be pretty fucked up. She gets some clues that way. And also, like, with... Uh, Every time she went to Judy's cafe or at work, they just put the the jukebox on. It was all uh, <laughs> chopped and screwed songs. <laughs> she knew. She knew. Uh, it's no, either whether she was able to, like, use that as a weapon, like, to use her knowledge of what she was, or she's just a victim. Like, a lot of people, like, think that, like, her blowing out the lights was her, like, having some sort of, like, agency over her fate. Kind of like in Firewalk With Me, the whole John Thorne theory. That, oh, she's actually a Joan of Arc, like, sacrificing herself and going to heaven. Like, some people think that that's also, like, her fighting back and having some agency against her. No, I think it's all dark. And everything Lynch has talked about post-season three related to Twin Peaks, and there's only been a couple of kernels, has always been, like, it's a dark place. It's dark. There's darkness. There's like disturbances. So I think that ending is very obvious. It is meant to be bleak and dark and hopeless. And that's what makes me. Well, believe. I don't think that she actually wins. I mean, maybe, I guess some people think that she blew out the lights. Like, okay, then it's there all. There are people. Yeah, I yeah, think, so. think, I think that. maybe she might be striking out against like, it's like she's going down to the blaze of glory. She's fucked, but she's like saying, fuck you. Mm, see, You're not taking me back in this house. No, see, I think it's like the realization of that, that she is not who she, you know, who, th- who she thought she was, Carrie Page. She is this person, but I also think that maybe somehow there's, there was some kind of transference or something that she has a darkness within her. She has a Judy bubble, a Bob bubble, something within her, and that she has this great potency. But it's almost like she is the one that's... This goes into a little bit deeper uh, that I wanted to get, but you know that playing card that Mr. C shows Daria in part two? Yes, sir. I watched that recently. If you watch that scene a little closer, I can't believe I didn't, never noticed this like a million times I've seen it. Is that Daria, she looks at it and then she turns away and she starts just like almost shuddering in fear. It's almost like the image on that playing card is somehow like affecting her negatively. It's almost, and she has to turn away. And Mr. C has this real like devious, uh, menacing look on his face. Like, oh yeah, I know. And it made me think like, that's not just a playing card that he just keeps for like a memento or like a reminder, this is what I want. There's a potency, there's a power to that image, just like on Hawk's Living Map. Like, oh, Frank, you don't want to know what that is. I'm not even going to talk about that. You know, so there is something with that image. And I think that the log lady said, watch out for that one I told you under Blue Pine Mountain. It's that image. It's the, it's the image on Mr. C's playing card. And then she goes, Laura is the one. There's a part of me that believes that it's the negative side of Laura. It's the darkness of Laura. It's maybe who, if she would have been possessed or if she is possessed or the doppelganger that being created from the firemen, so that the, which is the embodiment, I think, of all things good, if you were somehow able to corrupt that, and to make that dark, it would be the most potent weapon ever. And I'm not talking about a bomb, but it would be something that someone like a Mr. C. Bob would want to utilize. Like turning the uh, Skywalker to the dark side. 
Exactly, my just friend. Just like that, Tom. Exactly. Just like that. Well, maybe like the ant. Maybe it's Ant Man. Maybe it's like an unforeseen like uh, demon, like the Jumpy Man. It looks like an Ant Man, kind of an ant face. What is that? I always thought it was an ant. Yeah, kind of an ant. You know, Ant Man. Yeah, the Ant Beast. Ant Woman taking taking over. So here we are with Audrey and Charlie, and she's doing her Audrey dance. Well, this was also the big revelation that the Roadhouse, as we know it, after Part Seven with is his it MC, real, Tom? is not real. I kind of knew that already. Oh come on! Didn't seem come real. Scott Coffee Tom in reality. <laughs> He gets cut out of everything. <laughs> this is a great dance. This is really, I mean, it's like she's, this is her moment. This is the one that everybody's been waiting to see. I'm sure lots of people are really freaking out at this particular scene as well. Well, deconstruct this. So what's going on with Audrey here? I think that she's dancing right now in a mental institution, like by herself <laughs> in a white room and Charlie's sitting in the corner taking notes and all the people, other people that are swaying back and forth are really crazy people like uh, that are swaying back and forth with mental, uh, you know, like little like, uh, straight jackets on. And then she's going to wake up. They start, well, two of them start fighting inside the, right. the padded room. And she wakes up. What about all the other scenes at the Roadhouse that are somehow connected to Audrey, at least with her her dialogue with Charlie with these characters' names? It seems like it's all in her head. It's all like her memories of people and being, wanting to be young again and have like a youthful uh, mystery to solve, like the old days when she's skulking around the Great Northern, been abandoned by everybody, so she's created a fictional world, just like, kind of like Cooper. Well, don't you think there's a connection to what we had in this episode, the reveal of Diane being raped by Mr. C and being Tulpa going to the convenience store that... Audrey was also raped by Mr. Yeah, C. they're both like adjoining rooms of the convenience store right now. There's something. Yeah. And then with the portal in the Great Northern. Yeah, I don't think that the mental institution is actually a real real mental institution. It's like a Black Lodge mental institution. It's like yeah. she's trapped in some sort of hell. So that would mean Charlie, who's in the corner taking notes, is also like a confederate of the Black Lodge? Or yeah, he's a, like probably at the break room with like the bosomy woman. Like, so like whatever, <laughs> rough day. Yeah. Got to do overtime this week. Yeah, Bob says, uh, can really fuck with him. <laughs> All right, that's but there's also the electricity hum that when you know she you know is in yeah. this white room looking Crackles in the mirror. To, yeah. which that's awesome. Suggests, we freaked out. This is the yeah. great one of the greatest endings. I love the jump cut there. Oh my god! And she's it's almost <gasps> like she's seeing what? herself. What? Like great. Twenty five years later, because she was. Do you think when she was doing that dance? Yeah, she, she was, thought she was young again. She realized that she's now been trapped in this hell yeah. for twenty five years. Right. I, th- I think I screamed out loud when that ending. That ending was great. I, went, I think I yelled. I think did I you do that yell. again last night when you watched it? No. But I liked it. <laughs> and the great ending with the jazz band doing the backwards Audrey dance, which proves that it is a dream, right? Because how do you do this? In your life? A dream? Her hell's, what do you want to call it? Her hellscape, her, her portal web circle. Well, the roadhouse. Her lodging nightmare. We know that there are owls in the roadhouse from the original series. Mm-hmm. The giant showed up in the roadhouse several times. So, and what goes, you know, Twin Peaks has the Black Lodge and the White Lodge uh, in its vicinity. The roadhouse. the roadhouse be in the convenience store? I mean, come on. It is the convenience store. It's in there. You think it's a, an adjoining like it would, room? Yeah, it seems like it would be like the live venue in the convenience store. Everybody goes to Blaustein. I, I would think more than the convenience store that it is more along the lines of annexed to the White Lodge because of the giant's presence. You could actually fall in love. What if like, they, they allow like, the Black Lodge people to come hang out with the White Lodge people at the roadhouse? You could like fall in love with someone on the other side, be illicit. What happens? I'm good. They're Can bad. you give me an example of who would do that? Like Freddie and like Renette or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like Freddie, Freddie and the White Side and Renette, the Polish accountant and whoever. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. Season four, baby. Yeah, season I'm four. Saying, season four. <laughs> Everyone freaked out about that tweet today with Lynch. He just like, said like, I love the people of Twin Peaks or something like that. People were like, what? You're making season four? Like, that was just him giving a shout out, right? Yeah. I think, like, it's a, I think uh, some people are trying to get state funding for shooting oh, features it, yeah. in it, the yeah. area. And I think. He wanted to give them a shout out and say he's on their side. He loves the area. 
But it is interesting because he doesn't really tweet about this kind of stuff. Yeah, that stuff. was a random one. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, maybe there's something. There's hope, Tom. There's hope. Well, any final thoughts on this episode? A great episode. Wonderful. Loved it. We only have two left. That's right. We we're going have... into the void. <laughs> What's going to happen? No, I'm going to do my 10-part series on Angel Heart when oh. we're done. <laughs> <laughs> so, last thoughts? Anything? Well, okay. Talk so, I'll, I'll just uh, finish up on my... Uh, my Laura, not as Judy. Okay. Cause I don't necessarily think the whole, like she's the granddaughter of Judy. I strongly believe that Judy is not like a person. I think originally that, that Lynch Sarah swallowed the bug, Tom Sarah swallowed the bug, but I think it's more of jumpy man than Judy because of the protuberance. I think that as originally conceived, Judy was probably meant to be a person. Uh, but Lynch and Engels who co-wrote firewalk with me, they probably didn't have it all worked out. They wanted to kind of just, plant the seed for you know, future iterations. And of course we didn't get anything until 25 years later. And now when they conceived season three, I think Lynch from what we saw incorporated many, many things that he uh, created for Firewalk with me. And one of the things was, was Judy and to label her this extreme negative force um, and not necessarily a person. I think, you know, it's kind of a misnomer. I think that it's more of a feeling, a time, a place. It could very well be a place where Laura Palmer wasn't murdered. It could be, um, you know, uh, uh, an alternate reality. It could be a portal. It could be a nightmare as opposed to a dream. It could be any of these things. But um, like the fireman, I don't think Judy is, is, is like pulling the strings per se. I think she's more of a presence. And I think it's all tied to Laura for me because Lynch loves Laura Palmer so much. The conflict within the duality of her, Bob Leland wanting to possess her. Why did he want to possess Laura Palmer? Well, we didn't know this in the original series, and Lynch probably didn't know this as well. But her being the product of the firemen, you know, his reaction to seeing the Trinity test and seeing Bob, you know, coming to our realm, that he created Laura Palmer. So if you take that notion with Bob as Leland wanting to possess her, that he wanted to possess not just, you know, someone who, you know, had, you know, conflicted feelings or demons within her. She is a, a, a extreme positive force. And if you could somehow, you know, cancerify that, if that's a word, if you can somehow use that, manipulate that in a dark fashion, I think it could be potent. Like, I think that Bob Bubble, I think he, if he had his druthers, I think he would prefer to be within a Laura Palmer. The fact is that Laura Palmer was dead. And the fact that Mr. C wanted coordinates all through season three, and it's still very uh, 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 obtuse as to what, you know, his ultimate motivation is. Well, Laura's not alive. She's, you know, she's dead. She's in the Black Lodge and he can't possess Yet she her. lives. <laughs> Yet he she lives. He can't possess her, but he knows, just like you were talking about with Cooper, knowing what Cooper is maybe thinking and what he's going to do and vice versa, that Laura is, is going to be saved and she's going to be uh, alive in Odessa and she is going to be ripe for the picking again. That may be what Mr. C was trying to do. And, 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 and Cooper was leading her to the white lodge, you know, before she got pulled out of the woods is that maybe that's what Mr. C was doing. His, his end goal was to try to find Carrie page to possess her like he wanted to do Laura Palmer in the original series and, and double dip the chip. Yeah. And maybe that's kind of what we're seeing a little bit in part 18. And then she doesn't realize that Cooper doesn't realize that. 
And and you know, like I said, I'm taking a huge leap here. It's not that I believe it. I'm just I'm workshopping it. I'm workshopping it. Well, it ties back to I think even back to episode eight, we were talking about like the golden orb of Laura who was blessed and like sent down to like fight the bobs of the world. Like what if she she's like Joan of Arc and we thought that she was going to be the savior, but she got contaminated and destroyed. And that's the big tragedy of it all. Like she was the chosen one who was supposed to save everybody with the light, spread the light, but she got turned into darkness. And so it's exactly what you're talking about. Right. And it wasn't just that. It wasn't that she was just turned into darkness. She was, she sacrificed her. She was dead, but then she was resurrected. And then let's try someone else. Did you think there are other Lauras out there? Is it, no. is it just her? Laura there were like the one. five million Lauras. She's the one. But there's a lot of Lauras. There's probably like a hundred Laura Palmers in America. She was the only one. Look at those bob bubbles that went down. All those little Well, hell, Cooper, and... you're talking about half the high school girls in That's America. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're out there somewhere. <laughs> What's well, a very good theory? I like that. Well, it's not like a, a whole theory. It's just a, an idea. I thought maybe we would do at some point. We haven't done a theory episode in a long time and i've been thinking about this for a while so i wanted to kind of just throw it out there for me the most fascinating thing about part 18 and we'll talk about this when we get there but um that long you know midnight drive on the lost highway from odessa to twin peaks with barely any dialogue and what you have is the driver and you know the passenger you know both uh have been in the lodge for 25 years and both have relationships with Bob and that to me like when I rewatch it subtextually is like so potent people can watch it and go like uh you know just no talking driving but for me it's just it just (laughs) what you bring to the table it makes it makes it great yeah it's just I just I I think of that because Cooper's reaction he doesn't even look at Laura it's almost like he he's thinking about his own demons and what he's trying to do and Laura's trying to remember or Carrie is and you know, it's very dreamlike, but the fact that Bob, you know, the ultimate evil, is omnipresent in that automobile with maybe the Judy headlights, you know, the extreme negative force, the presence it. following, is, is gives the the you know, that particular section such emotional like you know weight and makes it, in my opinion, one of the best things Lynch has done. It's really like a like a, a thirty minute silent movie with you know the minimal dialogue and this great ending, which is still abstract. how many times have you rewatched that. 74. Me? Three. I know. <laughs> but it, yeah. I have not watched it in a while. I prefer but 17. It. I prefer okay. 17. I like, I like 18, but it's not, I can't, I don't like want to watch it over and over what? and over and over. I love it. I love the end, but I'm not going to like, you know, rewatch like that 20 minutes of silence. I'm not like, ooh, this is good. Oh, yeah. Like, because I've seen it a couple times. I see how it works. It's good. But, you know, I'm not going to watch it again like that. Oh, you'll watch it again. And well, I, I guess I have to in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you'll watch it again. I will again. I'll, I'll let you know what my thoughts are on that. On that note, we'll see you guys next month. Thanks for tuning in.
going to get the sheriff. Twin Peaks will be right back. Next on Twin Peaks. Where's the body? Out back. Finally. Love you, babe. The darker chapter. My secret diary. Her page is missing. Before Laura Palmer's murder. Freak accident. <laughs> the killer will strike again. Who knows where or when? Twin Peaks. Fire. Walk with me. Rated R. Starts Friday, August 28th at a theater near you.